singing and praising the Lord together. I want to welcome today uh, some friends who've been out of the country for a while. Uh, Jim and Darlene Doss and their son. Y'all stand up for just a second. Y'all welcome them back. They're visiting with us in the States. Love y'all. Good seeing y'all today. Also, Miss Myra Ortigo. Miss Myra, are you here? Are you here? Did you make? Yes. 90 years old. Isn't that awesome? Big birthday party yesterday. Really good to be together. It's a great, great time to be together in the Lord. Um, as we begin, I want to remind you of our plan to read the Bible together as a congregation this year. We're going to use George Guthrie's edit of the Bible. He has laid it out in a very unique form to read the Bible chronologically. We have a little tear-off on your bulletin. If you'll pull that out real quick, it says a couple of things. First, it says, hey, I want to join the congregation in reading together. Some of our Sunday night messages and all of our Wednesday night messages will be built around reading the Bible together. Uh, The next says, I want to purchase a hardback copy for $10. Uh, We have some on order that are coming in uh, on the 2nd, I believe. And so you could pick them up. So please fill that out if you would like to order one. Or if you want to download the electronic version, you received an email that tells about that. Or there's a place inside your bulletin that will tell where you can download that electronically. So I hope that you'll join us in uh, reading the Bible through together this year. We're looking forward to that. We'll talk a little more about that as we go to the book of Hebrews. If you'll join me there. It is a great opportunity for me as we kick off the year to just tell you how much I love you and how appreciative our family is for your love and your kindness toward us. So many ways you display that in cards, in letters, in calls, in texts, in emails, and you are very sweet. Gifts and just words of encouragement, hugs and smooches and all those things. We really love you and appreciate you and count it an incredible privilege and joy to be ministering to you as a family. Over the last several months, I've focused on three overarching themes in the book of Hebrews. First, that God in Christ deserves our worship because Christ is a better Savior for who He is. The Bible tells us in chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews that He is the invisible God, that the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of God are fully in Christ. And so we worship Him for this salvation and that He is a Savior because of who He is. We also mention that He is to be trusted for a better salvation because of what He has done for us. The Bible says that Jesus has resolved the wrath of God and the guilt of sinners by being a propitiation, uh, a sacrifice that settles God's wrath and our guilt and brings us acceptance to God. We also mention that Jesus is to be enduringly hoped in for a better situation because of where He's taking us. 
There is a day that we will enter the fullness of that rest we experience spiritually now. We will experience in its fullness on the day that he takes us there, whether by death or by his appearing. Then over the last several weeks, for Christmas, we talked about three particular aspects of Christ's incarnation. First, that he had to have a body in order to die. Second, that he had to inhabit a body in order to carry out the obligations that the law required in order for him to qualify as a perfect sacrifice in his death. And third, we mentioned that by inhabiting a body, he is able to be a first responder to us in our temptations and weaknesses because he is sympathetic having experienced the fullness of humanity and the temptations of being human. Today we come to another aspect of Christ's work in the incarnation. And in leading up to that, I want to share with you something that happened to us in our ministry in Ecuador about five years ago. We were called one day with a fairly urgent call. We were living in a community there called Wapilu or Chihuilpe, the first community, it's the community where Henry and his family live. And we were called by someone in that community while we were staying, and they said, we need someone to take us to the hospital. There's a young man that's very sick, and, and something's wrong with him, and we just need to get him to the hospital. So uh, we jumped in uh, with the vehicle that was there with Gary, and we fired it up and ran up to this house. And this house, if you've ever been to... Uh, Wapilu, some of you have traveled with us, is right by the big soccer field on the way down into the community. sits back on the back right of that big soccer field where every time we pass by there's kids playing. And We got to that house and there was a young man there, very um, strong young man, one of the soccer players that's always out there on the field. And, and he just was in distress and uh, he was having a little trouble breathing. He was coughing severely, so we loaded him up and we headed into town and got to the hospital. And if you don't appreciate your health care here, let me just give you an opportunity. When you get to the hospital and you require a test, um, they order the test and then you pay cash for it up front in advance. So he needed uh, some tests, some blood work, some x-rays. And so we pooled money together and got him the x-ray and some blood work done and the doctor said, we'll get right on this. He seems pretty sick, though he looks real strong. Something's wrong with him. And they did a series of tests. We waited there for quite a while. And finally, the doctor came back out and said, well, we know what's wrong. And we said, okay, well, tell us. He said, he's got tuberculosis. Well, we'd all been riding in the car with him. Um, that was a little scary. I'm clear. Relax. The medical people are going, don't breathe around Bart. Um, and so he had a... Pretty severe case, and so he said, here's the medicine. It's treatable form of it. Get right down to the, to the uh, clinic, uh, the pharmacy, pick up the medicine, and doctor sat down with him and said, okay, here's the deal. You have tuberculosis. It's this thing inside your lungs. It's like a bug, and if you take this medicine, it'll kill the bug, and you'll be fine. And so he just kind of looked at the doctor, and then he got in the vehicle with us, and we rode down and got to the pharmacy, and we did what you do there. You buy the medicines, and... Uh, then head on back, no insurance plan or anything, no copay. You just pay. And so we headed back to the 
home and they thanked us and we prayed for him. We spent a, a time with him clarifying the gospel to that family. The mother of this young man is an aunt of Henry and she was a believer. But the young man was not a believer and so he heard the gospel again and we talked together. And Then we went on about our business, leaving him with medicine, the instructions, the treatment plan and everything. And we went about our way. Now, in order for the Sachila to receive care, it's important to understand three things that they are up against because of where they grew up and because of their culture. The first thing that this young man was up against was denial. Here was a very strong, incredibly fast, and very good soccer player. When they were playing soccer, he was one of the leaders. The soccer field was by his home, so he was playing all the time. And he could race up and down that field all day long. When we North Americans come and play soccer with them, we spend a lot of time like this. And that's just after the first few minutes. And so we play with them. This guy had every appearance that he was going to be okay. And so he had an issue that he had to overcome of denial that he was really as sick as the doctor had said he was. Now, he had a second issue that he was going to wrestle with. And that issue was a, an issue of distrust. The Satchila have been so exploited for so long that they have very little trust for people outside of their community. People come in all the time making them promises and making them offers and taking photos of them and exploiting them and and giving nothing in return. And so they have a very wary view of outsiders. In fact, back when Elizabeth Elliot was ministering among the Satchila in the 50s, one of the things she said is that they could not be influenced by outsiders because they didn't need anything. They lived completely off the land and were completely free of all of the things that North Americans were addicted to, like nicotine and like money. And so one of the things that later was done to them is cigarettes and other things were introduced to get them hooked and make them have to come out of their community. We've got some actual videos from the 40s that tell some of the story about that. And so these, these folks have this distrust of outsiders. Now the, the third challenge for this young man was the Satchila grow up trusting in the shaman. Now the shaman is, we used to call it a witch doctor. That was the word we used a long time ago. Now we use the word shaman. And it's a person who has sort of a combination of mystical powers granted by evil spirits and medicinal powers that are fairly smart, the use of plants and fruits and different kind of minerals that are available there. In fact, Wes cut his hand just a couple of weeks ago when he first got to Ecuador and he cut it pretty good and he sent me a text message and the text message said, um, I cut my hand today. And I sent back, did you put any antibiotic on it, wrap it up, you sent back, yeah. And then he texted me back a little bit later and it sounded kind of urgent. He said, Jose just squeezed the juice of a plant onto my hand. Am I going to be okay? Now, these shaman with these mystical dark 
powers and these medicinal abilities have held sway over the people of Ecuador for a long time. And see, here's a young man with the issues of denial because he's still fairly healthy. The issues of distrust because an outsider not only took him to the hospital, but an outsider that they don't trust diagnosed him and gave him medicine. And then for all of his life, he's grown up in a community that depends on the shaman for mystical and medicinal help to cure diseases, illnesses, and deal with what they think are evil spirits that can be controlled. And so this man had a great deal of challenge before him. Now I've told you that story to set up the book of Hebrews chapter 10. So join me there. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, those same three words that started with a D are issues in the Hebrew community. The first issue is the issue of denial. The problem that the Hebrew community had that is the same problem that we have, that's the exact problem that Wendy mentioned, is the problem of sin. The sin problem. That is the great problem of all Humans, the sin problem. All of us were born with a nature and a bent, an inclination and a desire against God and toward evil. That manifests itself in actions and behaviors that the Bible calls sin. Those actions are very serious. But our problem is, like this young Satchila man, they just don't appear so serious right now. Here he was, something was killing him on the inside, yet he just kind of had a cough and a little distress and couldn't run as fast, but he still looked pretty healthy and he still looked like everything was pretty good to go. Maybe you've just got a cold, maybe you've just got the flu, they call it the grippe. Maybe that's what you have. Maybe our sin problem really isn't that bad. The Hebrews were living in a sin-saturated culture that surrounded them, the culture of Rome, where everything practically was permissible in some way, shape, or form. The saturated culture around them tempted them to say, sin is not that big of a deal. Sin is not all that big of an issue. Look at these people, how healthy and how happy they are, and they don't know your God. They don't observe your rules. They don't go through your sacrificial system. They don't have any regard for your culture. But they're rich, and they're fat, and they're happy. And so here they are. It's just like Psalm 73, where the psalmist looks out and sees the culture hates God, prospering, and doing really well. And he says, I almost lost my faith over this. The culture surrounding the Hebrews 
was saturated in sin. And it encroached on them in every conceivable way. But the Bible says that God takes that on. Read with me in chapter 10, just into chapter 10, verse 3. He says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of the things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sin. Look at verse 3. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year. God wove into Hebrew culture something to encroach upon their denial. Something that they would repeat at a minimum annually. They would repeat it over and over and over again to get through to them and break through the human denial of the seriousness of sin. There was the atonement sacrifice, the Day of Atonement, where an animal was slaughtered. And ceremonially, a person, the high priest, would make representative of the whole people, and he would place his hands on the head of that animal, something like what a regular worshiper would also do, but on this high and holy day, he as a representative of the people would place his hands on the head of the animal. He would confess the sins of the whole people over that animal, and then they would slaughter that animal and offer him as a burnt offering and carry that high priest would carry the blood of that animal into the holy of holies, to the most holy place, and lay that blood before the altar and upon the mercy seat of God at the Ark of the Covenant. Now that reminder was specifically to break them of their denial of the seriousness of sin because each year there was a reminder that the wages of sin is death. Every year, the wages of sin is death. A perfect substitute must take your place and must be slain. It was a gruesome thing. If you will drop back to Hebrews chapter 9, you'll get a picture of it. In verse 19 of chapter 9, For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, He sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. Can you see this? The people are there. They slice the throat of this animal, drain it in a basin. They take this leafy thing called hyssop. It's a bush. Very leafy. And they dip it in there. And they start shaking that onto the people. And as they're standing there, flex splatters of blood begin to cover their face, their hands, their outfits, their children, 
Blood is everywhere. Then blood is splattered everywhere inside the temple. Blood is splattered on everything. It is one of the most gruesome sights that you could imagine. This is the line. Look in verse 22. According to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. This is where we get the hymn we just sang. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of... This is where we get that. It is from this section where the cleansing comes from blood. And without the shedding of blood, how much forgiveness is there? Verse 22. How much forgiveness is there without the shedding of blood? Somebody say it loud. None! <laughs> But you get a problem there in verse 4 of chapter 10. Here's the whole denial moving into this idea of distrust in verse 4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now listen, these people had grown up every year being told this story and seeing it. And they had gotten confused about the story. They had thought that the story was that animals forgive sin. That God needs animals. God likes slaughter. God is happy with offerings of blood and calves and goats and sheep. And that that's what makes God happy. What makes Him happy is killing stuff. And so they got mixed up through their tradition and through misunderstanding the law and its intent. They got mixed up and they started thinking what makes God happy with us is killing these critters He makes and splashing blood on everybody. That, that makes God pleased with us. And so this person named Jesus comes in and he starts this new Jewish religion. And he's considered an outsider because he won't go along with the system that's already there. He won't go along with the politics. He's considered an outsider. He's rejected. And so there is this distrust because they say that he and his followers are doing away with the laws and the customs of Moses. So there is a denial of the need for a substitute to pay for their sins. They just think that animals make God happy. And then there is a distrust because somebody comes in now and says in verse 4 that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We've been doing that forever. What do you mean it's impossible? Come on. That's all we do. We get up. Day of Atonement, take an animal, slaughter it, sprinkle the people. That's it. You're telling us that's not it? Wow. And so there was this distrust. They looked at them and they said, you guys are crazy. This is why Paul was stoned. This is why he was beaten with rods. This is why he was caned. This is why he was punched. This is why he was in prison. Because he was proclaiming this very thing, that it's impossible for the blood 
of bulls and goats to take away sins. So now, think with me about our Ecuadorian friend. There's a little sense of denial. We're doing the right things. We can't, there can't be anything wrong with us. We're going through the system. We all look healthy. Everything's fine. Then there's this idea of distrust. You're going to tell me something different than what I already knew? You're going to tell me that my way of thinking is wrong? Pride wells up in them. Tradition wells up in them. Culture wells up in them. And they say, wait a minute. Why should I trust you telling me a message different than my forefathers taught me? So there is distrust. So here the writer to the Hebrews is writing them to remind them of God's way of breaking down their denial that the sacrificial system was not to make God happy, but to make them aware of how sinful they were, that the wages of sin was death. It also is to break down their distrust because here comes someone who not only speaks the word, But what did Jesus do to break down our distrust for this new teaching? He himself was the sacrifice. He breaks down our distrust by being so loving as to be the sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So what is happening here? The Hebrews were struggling in their faith. Their tradition made them a little hardened and a little bit in denial of the seriousness of their sin. Because they saw the sacrificial system as evidence of their righteousness rather than evidence of their sinfulness. God was working out the distrust by not just sending a messenger, but His own Son in love to be the offering. Now let's go a little further. God was breaking down their dependence on the former things. Read with me. Verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifices and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast taken no pleasure. This is powerful. Here's God saying that this system was never about pleasing Him. This system was about informing them so that what pleased Him could occur. And that is His Son could come in and be that sacrifice, and they could trust Him, and He would be pleased with them because of His Son. And so He says, Sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired, but a body. Stop there. That's the incarnation. This is Jesus' entrance into a human body. A body thou hast prepared for me. Jesus' body will be the sacrifice, the offering. Look at the writer to the Hebrews thinking in verse 9. Then we move to the Lord's Supper with this understanding. Then he said, 
Behold, I have come to do thy will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. What does he mean there? Okay, the first was the system of sacrifice that was built to inform us of our need, our sin, our substitute. Our sin deserved wrath and punishment. Our guilt deserved punishment. It deserved wrath. God chose for Christ to be a body offered, to be blood shed, so that in Christ the fulfillment of everything the Bible is about would be met in one moment. A perfect sacrifice, wrath upon that sacrifice, blood shed, not of lambs, bulls, or goats, but the blood of Jesus. Now what happens here? What he wants to do with these Hebrews is first break down their resistance through denial. My brothers and sisters, our sin is so radically serious there is no resolution other than the shedding of blood. But no animal can do it. Only Christ's blood shed can do it. Our situation is so dire that nothing can resolve this except God Himself. So God sends Christ in a body, and in that body lives, born of woman, born under the law, perfectly offers Himself His blood is shed and He resolves the conflict between the love of God to save us and the wrath of God to punish us. They come together in a collision at the cross. Jesus dies for our sin. He lowers our denial by making clear to us the seriousness of our sin. He overcomes our sins of distrust by doing more than a messenger or a message, by embodying His own self in human flesh and walking among us in love and grace and mercy. And then He deals with our dependence by saying to us, By this act, there is only one thing that you can rest your faith on for your salvation. Get rid of your dependence on your tradition. Get rid of your dependence on yourself. And come now and depend. Listen to these words in verse 12 as he comes to a close to this section. He says, But he, having offered one sacrifices for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 14, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. He breaks our denial and says to us, Your sin is so serious that you can't do anything about it. He breaks our distrust by not sending a messenger but His own self in the form of His Son, in the person of His Son. 
in the second person of the Holy Trinity, enfleshed. And then he says, you need to move your dependence from your own works, your own traditions, your own efforts, your own morals, and you need to move it on to Christ. Now, stop there. About six months later, during one of my checkup calls to Ecuador, we talk with our missionaries there, sometimes monthly, and sometimes every couple of months I called Gary. Gary had gone down to visit the community of the young man who had this diagnosis, who we bought medicine for, I said, Gary, how is that young man doing? And in just the most serious tone, Gary said, Bart, he's dead. I said, what? He simply wouldn't take the medicine. He's dead. It was like my legs were swept out from under me. It was so simple. You just, you just accept that you're really that sick. You trust that these people are telling you the truth and providing you, and you just dismiss these guys who think through magic and all of these things they're going to get it settled. You just, it's just, just take the medicine. No. The dependence on the shaman ran so deep. The distrust for the outsiders was so serious. And the denial of the condition so, so galvanized. If this man withered away to death with medicine in his hand, that was the danger of the Hebrew community. By their denial of the seriousness of their sin. By their distrust of a message that confronted their prideful sense of okayness. And by dependence on an old way of thinking. Many Hebrews died and went to hell. Because they would not receive the cure. And brothers and sisters, we're about to come to the Lord's table and deal with all three. We're going to come to the Lord's table and, and we're going to come and we're going to, we're going to confess. We're going to get over our denial. Our sin is so bad that we need grabbing the wrong one. Two out of three. Okay, the bread's under it. Thank you, Sean. Miss Wanda, it's taking me a while to change too. <laughs> okay, the bread's under here, okay? I keep forgetting that we're doing that now. Don't I look silly? Um, listen, listen carefully. My sin is so bad that I need God to inhabit a body. And inhabiting that body 
I need him to live under the law and never fail in its system or its intent. That means Jesus kept every rule and in it he loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he loved his neighbor as himself. I needed someone to step into flesh. That's why Jesus said, this is my body. A body thou hast prepared for me. This is my body. As often as you take this, eat it in remembrance of me. But then, the body had to come to the wrath of God and be stricken and smitten by God. And so he said, and this is my blood. What can wash away my sins? You know the reply. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so what happens to us today is we deal with all three D's. Let's just say it. We come to the table with no denial. We are wretched sinners. We come to the table with no distrust. We trust the provision of God is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, our Lord, God, Savior, King, worthy of our worship. And we come today saying we have dependence only on this, that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was a body slain for us. That Jesus Christ's blood shed is the only thing that washes our sins away. Would you bow with me as the deacons come forward and as we enjoy this feast together, as we partake of the joy of salvation. Bowing with me, I just want to pray with you now because I think there are three issues we just need to quickly deal with. Number one, the Bible says don't come to this without examination. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a time we're going to be really quiet in a minute, and I just want you to reflect, confessing, repenting, forgiving. If there's someone unforgiven in your life, if there's some sin unconfessed, unrepented in your life, this is a time to take very seriously what the Lord has done. Come. Second, come with joy. The outflow of this is this. By His blood, we are made perfect. We are received. We are accepted. We are forgiven. Third thing, some of you are here today and you've never publicly proclaimed your faith in Jesus Christ. And today is a great day to start. That in just a moment after we take this, we'll have an invitation. And you can come and say, I follow Jesus. I'll be marked with his baptism and I will serve him with my life. Father, as we gather now to share in this glorious lesson, we confess that at times we deny the seriousness of our sin. Overcome that now. We confess at times that we don't trust you, that there's actually a distrust. So we try to depend on other things. Break that now. Let us trust you and let us depend on Christ alone. Grant this, we pray in Jesus' name.